Pack Box Talk, and this is Horse Stories with a Purpose. Who are we? We are equine educators, but we are owners. We are judges. We are competitors. We are coaches. We are volunteers. We are moms. We are horse owners just like you, and we want to share our horse stories with a purpose. Welcome to Extension Horses Tech Box Talk Series, Horse Stories with a Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Heine with Oklahoma State University. And today we have one of our favorite returning guests to talk about some of the highlights uh, they had at our recent Equine Science Symposium. So welcome back, Dr. Bob Coleman. How are you, Dr. Heine? I'm doing fantastic. We just finished up our State 4-H horse show. So um, now I'm in the office and trying to sort through the the wreckage. <laughs> so, uh, uh, State 4-H horse show. Such a wonderful time, especially when it's over. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. went really well. But I think that's a nice segue because you are actually going to be talking about a program um, that was highlighted that works to develop youth riders in a unique way. So tell us a little bit about this presentation. Yeah, this is the one that was from Texas A&M University. It talks about their summer horsemanship program. And one of the things that really struck me about it is when they started out in it and reminded us that it heard about this a while back, that it's been going for 50 years. And today we hear a lot of things about, oh, we have to be innovative and we have to do some things differently. And, and sometimes I think we forget to remember that the basics are really important. And that's what this program has always done. And I think the authors did a great job of sort of reminding us of what they had done. And, and particularly, uh, the one thing that really hit me first was how they target the youth to come and they reflect on the fact that they come from all different levels and all different times or lengths of experience. You know, when you think about it, that we could have people come to our extension programs and our education activities that could be very brand new. Uh, and there could be same people in the room that have multiple years of experience. And how do we tailor our education delivery in a manner that we can touch all of those particular audiences. And I think that's been, you know, a really strong part of this particular program. Um, the other thing that I, I think we sometimes forget about, uh, and depending on who your audience is, um, I like the fact that it is undergraduate students from Texas A&M's program that are delivering the program and delivering the educational material because sometimes you see this happen that the audience will interact with the person that's giving the material if there is some level of uh, acceptance and engagement. And so oftentimes I think that some of the youth uh, find it a little easier to deal with people that are closer to their own age uh, and maybe don't get the feeling that they're being lectured to by mom, dad, or grandpa. Uh, and I, I think that makes a difference. And so when you look at it, uh, you know, the experience was anywhere from uh, less than a year to more than 10 years. Uh, 
Um, I did think that was interesting. Their average age was 15. So if you're 15 and you've been doing this for more than 10 years, you were pretty young when you started. But that's pretty common for horse people. It's like, oh, I've been doing this my whole life. Well, maybe not quite that long. But um, And I guess the other thing is I thought their results uh, were really strong. And one of the ones that really hit home is one of the, the strongest areas where they learned a few or more things was safety. And again, in, the, in our industry, we have to be careful. And I think it happens to all of us. I know I have been guilty of this, that sometimes you get a little complacent and maybe don't think about doing things in the safest, best way possible for you and the horse. So I thought that was really good. But when you looked at the results, everybody learned something. Uh, and, and the responses is to, did you learn a few things or more than a few things was really high. I mean, you know, the lowest one was, I think about 82% of the people said they learned something. Well, that happened to be a simple lead change. So maybe uh, most people or a percentage already knew that. Whereas particularly those that have been riding for a number of years, they may have already uh, accomplished that skill. But for the rest, you know, you looked at it, it was sort of given in, you know, pressure and release, the safety, uh, you know, basic moving the horse around, getting them to respond to the pressure of your leg, um, those sorts of things. Uh, even one that I, I know, and you've probably seen it at 4-H, I mean, I have, I've seen it at other activity levels too, that loping on the correct lead. Uh, what a novel concept. But but when you think about it, and, and we can kind of sort of go, well, of course, you should know that. Um, you watch a lot of people as they're learning. That can be really difficult to appreciate, particularly if you're trying to get it through feel and not doing the, the cheater's way and looking down to see which leg's coming out first. Right. Which, as a youth rider, the ability to control your hands and legs independently um, and think about all the parts of the horse working at, at the same time, those are hard. And that takes a while to develop that skill. It does. And, and I'm just was really pleased at, at that, at the areas that they were working on that I think that, you know, it really comes down to it that we all need to make sure that we have a good, solid, basic foundation about our horse knowledge. And that's what they stress with this. And I think um, it's really something that 50 years, and I remember hearing uh, colleagues that had gone to Texas A&M years ago, you would probably know some of them. Uh, we won't mention names because that will date us, but you know, they, they talked about BF Yates's concept for this and, and why it was important and why things were done the same year or the same thing year after year because you still had to make sure that you touched all of the people and got the basics and and I think it's exciting to see that this has continued and it has such a strong uh, program and a strong impact on the youth horse people in Texas. We should all take a, a look at it and say hmm this is a good thing. We should see if we can model this to a certain extent wherever we are. 
Yeah, and I'm a, I can probably share a little bit because I'm I'm a little bit more familiar with the program since I did my um, master's degree at A&M and I had um, some of my fellow grad students actually uh, did the summer horsemanship program. So it's pretty, pretty unique because they take undergrads or um, sometimes graduate students and they train them for an entire semester. So they ride together and what they're training them on is how to teach the curriculum. So um, this is, again, it's very youth centric. So they really do focus on all the important things, like you said, with the like basic body control and speed control and stride control, like all of the things that are the, the fundamentals of horsemanship. But then they um, teach them how to teach it in a really fun, engaging way. And then they have all these games that essentially employ the use of those skills. So um, because anybody that works with kids knows that if you can have some games that come out of it where there's some competition, then that really works well to cement, okay, we worked on that skill and then this is how we're actually gonna employ it. So it is really a, a fun, fun way to teach kids in this very thoughtful, um, progressive manner to, to capture those fundamentals and then build on them over the time that they have the kids with them. Well, and for the instructors, what a, what a great basis for them. You know, now their basic skills are really well cemented. Plus, you know, we're, we've always been told that, that one of the best ways to really learn a skill or a piece of information is to go and teach it. And so not only are we teaching some young riders some better things, but uh, it's pretty exciting what, what the instructors are getting out of this and whether they go on to become trainers or lesson givers or whatever, um, my guess is that they become much better teachers. Oh, absolutely. And the ability uh, for these kids to maintain their enthusiasm. So we actually hosted one the past two years here at OSU. So the, the, the Aggies do get out of Texas sometimes and come up to Stillwater to visit us. But <laughs> they do. Yeah, such a good job with maintaining their energy level, the instructors like my days are past me, I think of being able to do that peak intensity of funness for that long of a period of time. Because, uh, yeah, I used to do all of those um, youth camps as well. Um, and it takes a lot. So I would always say, you know, my hands are, uh, or my hat is off to these young ladies that have done such a great job of, of doing these horsemanship programs over the years. It's good. And, and I think we can celebrate that not everything has to be innovative. Sometimes we can be a little old school and just follow along with what has been done and what works and, and see maybe the innovation is how can I make this work where I live and uh, and you're right trying to to uh, have enthusiasm and, and like you I do the odd horse camp and I'm fortunate I only usually have to go for about a half a day and um, you know after eight sessions of the same thing over that part of a day, I'm pretty much done. Uh, time time to go home because those kids wear you out. They do. <laughs> they do. But hats off to the folks at A&M for maintaining a really good program and uh, giving us lots to think about as to what we could do. Um, and 
the learning experience at Equine Science Society. Yeah, absolutely. All right, now you wanted to uh, talk about another presentation um, that was one of our featured speakers um, that we actually had somebody that wasn't specifically a horse person, but dealt with um, evolution and how animals adapt to different environments. So tell us a little bit about what they taught us. And I can even give you the title here, the Equid, Equid, sorry, Equid Nutritional Physiology and Behavior, an Evolutionary Perspective. I thought Dr. Klaus, who was certainly had an energy level that uh, kept us all going, um, he was there, you know, via Zoom, which can certainly be a challenge uh, trying to be energetic when you don't actually get to see your audience very well. Uh, but I thought he did a great job of bringing this whole bit of information about how the horses evolved um, and how some of the things have happened relative to the digestive physiology, which we really need to think about uh, in relation to how we feed our horses today, that, you know, things have changed, you know, the fact that the horse is a hind gut fermenter, uh, and that uh, how rapidly uh, food material goes through the gastrointestinal tract um, was a good reminder of that, that um, I think a lot of times, you know, we, we get caught up in sort of the day-to-day -day, uh, and what we've always done. And maybe some of this we learned, some of this we appreciated, but I thought it was a really good um, presentation, again, to remind us of a lot of those basic things, such as, uh, yes, horses will eat a wide variety of things, but length of time going through the gastrointestinal tract. I mean, we're spending a lot of time now in current research looking at the microbiome and, and all those sorts of things. So I thought those people that are studying that part of the digestive physiology of the horse, this was a great reminder of how things actually work. You know, the fact that things go through fairly quickly and we have, um, you know, the microbiome is throughout the horse's gastrointestinal tract, but every spot has a slightly different level of uh, involvement and in, in importance. And I, I just thought that it was uh, really good that we looked at sort of the his, history and the evolution of the horse, how things have changed, uh, and how do we adapt and, and utilize this information when we're feeding horses in such a wide variety of environments. Uh, you know, we've got horses out on pasture, we've got horses on pasture in, in Kentucky that might be pretty lush and, and maybe lack diversity. And then where you live, Dr. Heine, we've got horses on that Oklahoma pasture or down in South Texas that, you know, there's quite a variety of, of grasses that they eat and, and levels of maturity. And yet horses seem to survive and thrive uh, despite what we might look at it and say, oh, that's not a very good environment for them. They need to be, uh, in the barn and they need to have other things uh, provided to them. And in reality, maybe if we step back and let, and we've heard this more times than maybe we should have, but let's maybe let horses be horses a time or two uh, and see how things work. Granted, we still have to consider that, you know, they, they have a job to do. And sometimes those jobs puts them in an environment that um, might not be what 
the wild horse would have lived under or some of these evolutionary horses that uh, were talked about in this presentation, but I still think that that understanding the basics of digestive physiology and how the horse came to be what it is really can be something that we need to think about and maybe take some time and, and put it into practice. Uh, remembering our lessons. So I, I thought it was really good. It That's kind of short, but you know, there's, there's a lot of things. Uh, and if people would ever get a chance to, to read that paper and certainly understand what Dr. Close talked about, um, it was really uh, eye-opening and, and a great reminder to those of us that have maybe thought about this uh, information, but it's been a while since we have. So, you know, they grew up on an all forage diet. <clears throat> but when we think about that, some of those all forage diets were so diverse uh, and probably a much higher quality of what was consumed than what we maybe normally think of now. And it's because the horse was selecting the parts of the plant that it wanted to eat. And I can remember from a previous ESS many years ago, and it was a paper that came from Texas A&M uh, where they talked about some of the changes in grazing preferences and how horses grazed on a rotational system uh, where they selected different parts of the plant, which I think we're so used to just watching them and we think they start at the top and go to the ground. And that's not true. Uh, and Dr. Klaus reminded us that, that, you know, they do kind of pick and choose. And uh, when given the chance, maybe they do a pretty good job of finding enough calories uh, and the right kind of feed to, to get the job done. So I thought it was just an interesting and very uh, informative, very engaging presentation uh, that he was certainly entertaining. He had great slides uh, and kept us thinking all the way through. Yeah, he did. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning that he cleared up some of the misconceptions. I think people used to think that digester remained in the horse's tract longer than it does. Um, and, it, and it really doesn't. They are a, a high throughput uh, machine. Um, and so I know I even teach um, with my undergraduate classes. So, you know, ask the question, who do you think is a better digester, a horse or a cow? Um, and the cows by far are better at it, right? Because things simply stick around in there a little bit uh, longer and they get two goes at it. So that's why horses do have to have higher quality feed than when we think about, you know, how many people say horse hay versus cow hay. There's a, a reason that, that we can feed cattle sometimes on some things that we would uh, shun in the horse world. Well, that's right. And and I think that's a good point. And it was a great reminder of the fact that, yeah, cattle ruminate. They they do get the second kick at the cat, whereas the horse doesn't. I mean, it goes through. And and again, I remember from past ESS and ENPS meetings where we talked about how fast things go through the track. Um, it's really quite amazing that, um, you know, I think you're right. We, we think it's going to stick around for a long time, but Again, when you watch horses that are out grazing and they may be grazing with cattle at the, in the same pasture and there's the, you know, the cattle are over there laying down, uh, working on what they just ate, whereas the horse is out there gathering new stuff to eat. And I think putting that, when he put it in perspective that way, it was like, 
this really does make some sense as to why we need to do what we need to do. So, you know, the comparisons and the evolution I thought were really very educational and, and really got people thinking about things. So it was a, uh, a great talk. If there was a, a disappointment in it, I really wished he would have been there because I think he'd be a fascinating person to meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was from Switzerland, so it was a pretty, um, he couldn't get to Texas for that particular presentation. So. No, he couldn't, but he could have brought could have brought chocolate, you know, and that would have made everybody happy. It would, it would. So I, I uh, also thought one of the neat things that he talked about, so one, um, one advantage the horse has, because pretty much they're at a disadvantage to cows, you know, cows get to chew twice yep. and they get to digest everything that they uh, ruminate in, what the microbes produced, whereas it's in the wrong spot in a horse. So like, there's a lot of things that are going against the horse. But what he did say that was really interesting was how their teeth work. Um, so we always think about, you know, how horses teeth actually fit together. Um, they, their outer or their upper jaw overlaps their lower jaw. And he talked about that the horse is a unique species because they're actually able to graze and chew at the same time. Whereas other animals had to like lose their upper front teeth or, or can't do that. So a horse can take new food in while he's chewing just because of the architecture of their jaw. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things that we don't think about that, you know, wow, isn't this a pretty interesting critter that we get to deal with every day? And uh, I was I appreciated that he reminded us of that. And, and you're right. I mean, uh, the fact that, that what they can and how they can graze is really you know, kind of fascinating that, yeah, they're chewing it, but they're, and they're biting it off close to the soil surface. And, you know, all of that reminds us or should remind us of how we have to manage them because of what they can do. Yeah, and that's where I think some of our, you know, what what was old is new again, right? So we were trying to emphasize more um, practices that are sustainable in grazing and doing that interspecies grazing idea is actually one of those um, so that we can use that to our advantage. I, I guess using old information to become innovative today. Hmm. What a concept. I know. It makes you sound good, though, right? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, we hear about innovation all the time, but I think sometimes innovation is taking the information and just using it in a practical and sustainable way. I like your word sustainable because I think that's that's where we need to go. Mm -hmm. So it was a good conference. Yeah. Learned a lot. It was, it was fun. It's always fun to get to see everybody in person. So. Anything else going on in Kentucky that we uh, need to know about or any fun projects you're up to to share new knowledge? Um, not just yet, but we got some things that are on the horizon. So trying trying to keep up with the uh, my extension colleagues through extension horses and, and trying to be as innovative as all of you are with with new with old information and putting it into a new form. New for me, maybe not so much for the rest of you, but trying to create some small, you know, five minute videos of just some basic things, going back to the basics and, and looking at some of that. So hopefully we'll get those finished over the summer and um, be able to share that with Extension Horses. Awesome. 
All right. Well, thanks for visiting with me again today. We always appreciate it when you, I don't know if we can say stop by when you click the link. Um, <laughs> it's how uh, we do things, by. right? Yeah. Stop by would be fun, wouldn't it? Uh, you're right, that face-to-face, -face, but at least we have an opportunity to chat and uh, uh, share some knowledge and, and move things forward. It's always fun. You bet. All right. Well, thanks again. And that has been another episode of our Tech Box Talk for Stories with a